You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 82. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Hi, everyone. This is Ed K. Smith from The Business Marketing Show here with my co-host, Brendan Tully. And uh, on the show today, we have a special guest, uh, Winnie Lai Haddad. Now, Winnie is a specialist in uh, all things to do with China, in particular with uh, doing business in China. Uh, and she was actually born in Hong Kong, educated in Hong Kong and Malaysia, Melbourne and Perth. So she's certainly had a lot of uh, uh, experience in being educated in different places. Uh, she is a uh, Juris Doctor, um, Commerce and a Masters in Science as well. And she's also a lawyer for the law firm Hopgood Ganim in Perth here. So uh, welcome Winnie to the podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Ed. So, and Brendan. You, yes, and Brendan. We can never forget Brendan. So, uh, <laughs> thanks, Ed. <laughs> so, Winnie and I are both in Perth. Now, I, I met Winnie at a networking uh, business event uh, a couple of months back, and we've had a few uh, meetings and connections, and I've also uh, joined, thanks to the invite from Winnie, uh, the Hong Kong Australia Business Association uh, chapter, which is in Perth, there's ones across Australia, uh, and that is, uh, you know, making connections with people who have a strong focus of doing business in China or bringing business from China to, to Australia. So we figured that's a very, very popular subject and a massive growth area for anyone in the Asia-Pacific region or anyone overseas as well, but the, the main focus is going to be Australia and China. So I thought, who better to have on the podcast to talk about this subject uh, other than Winnie? And Winnie's just had uh, a trip over to China uh, and Hong Kong, I believe, to to some events over there. So she's going to share those experiences of what has been happening. So, so Winnie, give us a little bit of a backstory, if you you can. So you were you were born in Hong Kong. How long was it before? you came to Australia. How old were you? I was 16 and I came uh, for two years of high school before I did um, university education in the University of Melbourne. Fantastic. And so Melbourne then led you to come to to Perth and what what brought you over here? Actually, there was an in-between step. So after graduating um, at Melbourne, I went and worked in Hong Kong. And that is just before the Hong Kong get handover to China. From Hong Kong, I went to work in uh, mainland China. Um, I returned to Perth because my family decided to live in Australia to be closer to me. Um, but they chose Perth because they love um, Perth being in the right time zone closer to Asia. Um, but they didn't actually check out the map. Between Perth and Melbourne, it's a long distance, and I ended up working in China. So that's how we all ended up back in Perth, because when you have a child, you want to be closer to your mum. So we all congregate back to Perth. Ah, uh, okay. So 
Uh, do you still go back to Melbourne at all for any reason? You still have you still got connections there? Uh, not family, uh, friends, and um, it's uh, also a big community of um, older migrant of Chinese. And I understand that um, some demographer, it's already um, indicating that is going to be a bigger community of Chinese uh, resident um, in Melbourne, actually. So I'll keep that connections um, uh, as far as I'm doing business with um, with China and having the dialogue of East Coast um, Chinese and West Coast Chinese. Okay, fantastic. And currently, you are working for the law firm Hopgood Ganim. Uh, so, what is it you're doing there? I'm qualified uh, solicitor. I have um, an earlier conversation uh, with people interested to do more with China or attract um, Chinese investment into the projects. Um, we do have. Um, a, sizable amount of um, uh, Chinese clients. Now, when I say Chinese, they are not all necessarily from mainland Chinese. They might be ethnic Chinese um, from Singapore, from Malaysia. Um, and it's very useful um, uh, to have someone like myself who's been in commercial first before um, becoming a lawyer um, and also understanding the cultural aspects of it that um, uh, some Chinese will not ask the direct questions. And um, so the pricing method of just um, six part per minute um, might be a bit um, too much for the Chinese to ask um, the right question in the first place when they use um, legal services. Very good, okay. so. So typically what we're wanting to talk about is there, there's people who have businesses in Australia and they want to expand to different countries. Now, often we're dealing with, uh, with UK, with the US, but China is a completely different kettle of fish. So first of all, there's the obvious barrier, which is the language. Um, so if you're not, if you can't speak uh, Chinese in any format, you're probably going to be struggling, so you'd need to have someone to help you with that, or learn uh, Mandarin. Or um, Mandarin is the most popular uh, language in China. Is that correct? Yes, it is uh, the um, the standardised um, language for um, different provinces to communicate with each other. But like England, not everyone speaks the. Queen's English. Um, so the different dialect when they speak Mandarin, um, they uh, some of them um, do struggle. I'm talking yes. about Chinese um, from a different province. Yeah. So we might have Australian who learn the perfect modern Chinese Mandarin and find mm. it difficult to communicate with um, uh, someone from Hunan province, for example, which have a very thick accent. Yeah, so that's where it's very important to have the right connections and people can help you uh, get those communications sorted out so you don't have those sorts of issues. Um, one of the common things that I hear that if you're going to be doing any form of business in China, a good stepping stone to mainland China is Hong Kong. Uh, so what are your thoughts? Is, is that a uh, a place that you spend more time in is Hong Kong than mainland China, or what? What sort of ratio do you find that you're you're spending your time in in doing business? Um, Hong Kong is the um, the freest economy in the sense of like tax is very low. 
Um, mm. But um, we have now Australian-China Free Trade Agreement, CHAFTA, China-Australian Free Trade Agreement. So over time, those taxes will be lower. But in answer to your question, how much time I wanted to engage deeper, a lot of the times I go far Hong Kong and spend majority of the time in China, depends on what I'm doing. Hong Kong market for listing is still um, one of the quite a desirable market to list. The corporate governance, the transparency, the regulation, um, and it's an English-speaking um, place. Um, but I want to touch on the fact that um, you're saying language is important going to China. It is, but it's more important to get an appreciation. And I'm going to just uh, have a helicopter view of mm. China. Yeah. And uh, we talk about 1.3 billion people, and that's the mm -hmm. last official statistic. And this is rising. But China is not a monoculture. It is uh, 56 races. So Han, which is a majority race, uh, constitute 91.59%. So roughly mm -hmm. that's only 1.2 billion people. But the 55 uh, minority uh, races constitute over 105 million people. So, um, <laughs> that's, so with that yeah, in that, mind, <laughs> that's hilarious to think that the minority races in China uh, are five times the size of, <laughs> four times the size of Australia's population. That's hilarious. And yeah, and their habit, the cultural habits are very different. So um, also they're organized by provincial. So um, you've got... Um, basically 34 administrative regions or divisions. So you have 22 provinces, four municipalities, five autonomous regions, and two special administrative regions. So those two special administrative regions are Hong Kong and Macau. Mm -hmm. And right, so with, with that, when people say, how do I do business with Chinese? My first question is, where, which part? Because if you were to uh, group the GDP or GMP for every single administrative regions and by colors, darker red being in the trillions of dollars, you'll find um, 20 years ago, there's lesser of that darker red region and now mm -hmm. there's a lot more. So we're talking about more advanced um, uh, economy. So if we are trading with products that Australian are known as premium product, naturally it's beneficial um, for us to target the area with the more advanced GDP. So China economy is actually, a, it's, a, it's a collection of underdeveloped develop and developing economies all in one. Yeah, okay, fantastic. That's good information because it is a very large... Uh, subject matter of, of where do people go, where, where does one begin? So you really need to do your research or have a conversation with someone like yourself who can consult people before they're going to even and go anywhere near doing business in China. They need to work these sorts of things out. So speaking to someone like yourself would be money well invested. Um, now, you've just come back from a conference uh, in, in China. Can you tell us more about what that was? Um, we're actually doing a few roadshows um, with companies that are 
wanting to have a presence in Australia. Um, some in our listing environments, others wanted to know what projects they can embark on. Um, um, we happen to be at um, uh, what they call an annual uh, liquor and candy festival in Chengdu. And ah. that's kind of an odd combination. When we say candies, it's not just lollies. It's actually all the snack food that will go with liquor. And right. um, some of our very um, renowned vineyards or smaller ones will go there. Um, the expo ground is so huge that it actually took over majority of the hotels and transformed them to um, extra showground areas. And it's um, it's amazing. I, you know, I don't suggest if someone had never been to China to go to an expo. They they should belong to like a delegation that assists them to access. Otherwise, you you just get overwhelmed by the size mm. and the activities that happen. It just never stop. That that's amazing. So, uh, you were speaking the other day at the uh, Hong Hong Kong Australia Business Association networking lunch that we had and one of the, the the subjects that you were talking about was a communication tool that many people have heard about that is huge in china not necessarily as big in australia but uh the the app wechat so that's something that you feel is an important tool to use can you expand more on that please well wechat they also call a super app so this is more than just a messaging tool, which was released in 2011. By now, 2017, they have 900 million active users. So this wow. super app with the 40 functions in China, we actually can download WeChat in Australia, but the version we have is not, uh, it doesn't include as many functions. So one in China, um, you, you can pay with it, it's like an Apple Pay where you, where yep. you pay um, money. Um, so nobody carry wallets anymore. You can hail a, a, a taxi or the equivalent. They, they no longer have Uber because that was actually being beaten by a Chinese equivalent um, taxi hailing app. And um, you can also set up shop to um, sell your product. Um, within the WeChat, you can send um, what they call a red packet. So back in the uh, Chinese New Year, you usually send a paper red packet for children, for friends. But WeChat also had a function where you can disperse your red packet instantly. Um, they right. also have um, a, a videoing um, capability, streaming capability. So it's, it just goes on. And um, it uh, people don't um, even um, use business card as much now. Uh, within the WeChat, there's QR code scanning. So you can use that to scan information related to a product or outlet store. So um, Australian, um, I think it's Commonwealth Bank actually went in to allow um, Alipay, which is competition to WeChat to allow the payment system. So Chinese tourists yeah. coming to Australia are able to purchase our product and also scan the QR code to get all the information about the product. Now, the funny thing is when I was in China going to a very, very small, um, I mean, just like a locally run noodle shop, I was sitting there waiting for a menu to be given to me. There's no menu. Then the old lady come and pointed the QR code for me to scan. Then yeah. I tried to scan it, 
and the menu was meant to pop up. And because mine is an Australian WeChat, it didn't have the equivalent function in China. And they were going, oh, wow, they were trying to help me out. But I saw the other guy who's using a registered WeChat um, app in China. Scan it, the menu come, you order it, the noodle come, and then they pay by WeChat. Um, so I, I, I feel a little bit not sort of within that trend that's happening. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit behind on that sort of stuff in Australia. Do you agree? We're, we're nowhere near. I think the that sort of uh, technology is being adopted um, faster in, in other countries. What, what are your thoughts on that, Brendan? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, don't, I guess we have a smaller population as well, so there's like economies of scale with these sort of things. Um, but generally speaking, the Australian banking system is really behind with a lot of stuff, a lot of technology that uh, overseas banks have, their fees, like there's, you know, even simple things like Forex rates Australian banks charge are like 5% worse than the mid-market rate. They charge, you know, 3% on Forex transactions, just stuff like that. I think Australian banks are quite insulated from the rest of the world and I guess Australia is quite insulated as well like we don't have any land borders so we're not really exposed to you know other economies where there you know there might be aggressive competitors so yeah it's interesting That's yeah fun. yeah if I might um, add something here uh, in western mm. economy and western individualism we really guard our privacy data and so we should a lot more than, say, in China. Chinese attitude about privacy is if you don't have any intention to um, do anything illegal, then um, you can have my data. So the, the, the digital economy actually require a population that are open to um, letting the data, um, big data help them. And the, one of the big reasons that drive that is the convenience you get um a lot of people not just using wechat they would order food take away everything on their mobile not at a laptop but on their mobile mm. everything is on their mobile because um you know car park is there's congestion there's all that so the convenience outweigh the concern for security but the other second very important point is China didn't have an entrenched credit card economy. Right. They don't yep. have that. So we are already on credit card. We, we might use FPOS to pay things as a debit card, but credit card to transfer into a mobile payment, it's 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 much harder. It's like the pain of change. It's probably mm, less than the pain of gain. So why do you want to do it? But in China, there's just convenience is so important yeah that's a very good point and and that is something i think there is going to be that longer time shift so that the, the the gain of moving away from credit cards has to be far far greater for people to go through the process of doing it so that the more streamlined these companies can make make it with their services so that it's a simple transition to go across um it's going to happen much much more easily so mm. So, yeah, so WeChat is one area that you mentioned when we were talking before. So that's great. So the other uh, thing you've mentioned is a term called uh, Daigao. Have I pronounced that right? Close. So you, <laughs> okay. Well, you, 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 I, I'm, I'm sure in this conversation I was bound to stuff up a few uh, pronunciations of things. So 
please please no, no. correct me and tell me what it is. Yes. So Mandarin is uh, we call Pinyin, which is the way they pronounce it with the four tones and all that. So Dai Go is actually a term from Mandarin. Dai being an agent on behalf of, Go is to purchase. So you are a purchasing agent for someone else. Now, it doesn't just happen in Australia. It happened in the United States and Sweden and all that. Basically, is Chinese resident in a foreign country purchasing products, good products, to send back to their families or friends in China by courier, right, by yes. parcels. And why this happened is because this family and closer circle is considered as trusted agent. And while they actually go to our equivalent chemist warehouse or Woolworth to purchase a product, they are using a live streaming app. China mm -hmm. also very actively using live streaming. That is their way of tracing the product source right. and actually putting in the in the in the parcel and send it away. And this is uh, mainly arises uh, because of um, Chinese not trusting that the product on the shelf necessarily is not a counterfeiting product, even though it might be from overseas. And back um, 2007, I believe, there was the milk powder, instant mm. milk powder scandal with the baby formula and some yeah. children um, uh, uh, casualties of that. And this is 10 years later, there's still uh, a lack of trust with whether the um, seal has been tampered with, whether there's you know counterfeiting um, with that, but also there's a rising of middle class where they can afford to spend quite a bit to actually get product that are not necessarily registered in China for sale. So this channel is actually a grey channel. It's not official product that were registered in China that's up for sale, mm. but um, they wanted to experience the good product, which is um, age-defying for the skin um, or, um, or a very good um, product with cartilages and tablets, pharmaceutical products, health products. Um, so Daigo had become quite a popular way to, to, to send a product back, so much so that in Sydney there are a few shops set up for Daigo agents. So rather than them going to different shops to pick up a parcel pack, they would be recommended with product knowledge by the Daigo shop to encourage them to purchase and send it back home. Some people um, had quit their full-time job and um, sent over a thousand parcels a week uh, back to the trusted um, network and their setup shop is via WeChat. And because the payment can come through WeChat, everything is so seamless. Wow. So it's almost like a sub-e-commerce uh, channel completely. So that's that's fascinating. And that, <laughs> and that is, uh, I'm assuming that's just getting bigger and bigger as time goes by. Uh, and as yes. that middle-class sector grows, they're going to want more access to those types of products. So so is, is that something that you consult to people on, on that subject as well? Do you get involved with that um, personally? Uh, no, not not really. Um, no. I did mention it's a great channel. Um, yeah. If um, Chinese are um, very had strong execution, and I'm talking about um, 
policies, execution mm. ability. So if they introduce a new legislation to be very strict on not letting this channel um, come through, they can. Um, right. But I yep. think people who are interested in Chinese market have to be aware the power of this Daigo. I'm not necessarily encouraging this is the way to introduce your product in no. China. But, Just um, that it exists, yeah. The, the awareness is very important because um, your product suddenly ended up in a lot of places in China, but then they can also dump your product. So you you don't have full control of um, of your uh, size of the market and production. I think awareness is the most important. Um, on that topic, I also wanted to talk a little bit about Singles Day. And um, Brandon, um, have you heard of Singles Day? I have. I have. Uh, is that oh, the Alibaba good. Day? Is, is, that, that, is that what it is? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So for people who hasn't heard of it, they thought it was a dating app. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> this is a online one-day discount, which is far bigger than Cyber Monday and Black Friday. Mm. And last time, I think the figures, it's in, in, oh, in the billions that transacted within a day. Um, but the interesting thing is they always tested the logistic exercise on the day because more parcels need to be delivered. It's no point getting something and not getting it delivered. I, I, I liken it to Valentine's Day for listeners never heard of it. It's like you buy for yourself on that day. It started when yeah. there were lackluster um, in the actual e-commerce. Then Alibaba uses, these, uh, they pick the day one, 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 one. So there are a lot of um, professional singles well, they can't buy anything on Valentine's Day. Um, why shouldn't, you know, that sometimes we reckon the best present we receive are the ones that we bought for ourselves anyway. So on that day, they have severe discount and they put a lot of traders um, under pressure, but also um, some traders become very good at what they do on that day. Um, with the logistic, with different mm. combination, permutation of delivery. And still, you know, as far as China road is built, high-class freeway, but you still got township and villages that you see a product probably will have to change hand to so many, including a motorcycle to actually deliver. So every year I watch it with the keen eyes as to... Um, uh, how they better prepare for the next year. It's almost like a marathon challenge every year. Um, but funny enough, people say, this only happened in China. Even US is reporting it. Well, it's e-commerce. Mm. There's no longer a boundary, isn't it? No, exactly. That's, that is the case. And only in the news today, I was just reading how Toys R Us in Australia and Babies R Us are now in receivership. Uh, and, you know, so there's the retail sector, the physical retail sector globally is just struggling immensely. There's, there's only a, a few that are really working out how to leverage both physical retail and working in with e-commerce. And then you've got companies like Alibaba and Amazon who are just absolutely doing massive, massive uh, business. So I think mm. if you're not if you're not paying attention, and that's one of Brendan's um, subjects in his wheelhouse is e-commerce. So, Brendan, what what are your thoughts on where this is going in terms of e-commerce in in Australia and and doing business in China? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one because I don't think a lot of Australians are, are blind to some of those forces overseas, even Amazon, like FBA in the US, people don't realize how advanced um, e-commerce is and overseas in some of these bigger countries. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And I think, and uh, you know, that again, Australia is, is kind of behind in e-commerce. Like it, they don't, you know, there's so much technology overseas and, you know, fast shipping and the distribution network of some of these overseas companies is just mind blowing. So. It's a, it's an interesting sector, that's for sure. But uh, also within Australia, like we have some clients who um, they sell internationally, and quite often the packages are received by overseas customers faster than packages within Australia, which is which is just crazy. Like I think it's I don't know. We're again we're kind of insulated from some of those things that are happening overseas. Like they just haven't happened here yet. I think so. Yeah, it it is bizarre. I mean, I order a lot of things on eBay and Amazon and uh, DHgate and AliExpress and various places, and they typically, depending on what how much I've paid, if it's free shipping, it takes longer. And usually, anything <laughs> anything I order with free shipping, I expect it to be a couple of weeks, and I'm not worried because I don't need it. It's just something that when it gets here, that's fine. But other things that I want sooner, if I pay, you know, I might pay fifteen or twenty dollars. For delivery from China, it's here typically in three to four days, um, which is as fast, if not faster, than anything I've ever ordered in Australia that has to come from Melbourne or Sydney. So I just shake my head every time and go, "How is how is that possible? How can that?" And and when you watch the tracking, you see how fast it moves from China, and you watch all the different delivery points on your on your tracking app. You go, "Wow, that's it's pretty mind blowing how that all just goes." <laughs> Um, on that topic with e-commerce, I'd like to share something. The phenomenon um, called O2O um, happening in China, it's online to offline and offline to online. And mm-hmm. it's called omni-channel way of delivery. So the people who are in online environment, um, like Alibaba and Tencent, they find certain things, there's still a gap that they require to have that face-to-face experience. So um, while they're making their money from the e-commerce, they started to transform certain shops into experience shops and also where they can return their product. So people no longer go to the shops actually just to buy the stuff. They will put on an AI to actually experience what they will feel like. And they have stylists, for example, if it's homeware, to style them, to put things together. So those experiences you don't get online, you are able Mm. to get it offline. So they supplement that to actually give a complete experience. Um, So that itself is pretty amazing. Even in as far as shopping for um, food product, there is a, um, a supermarket which is completely, um, with, it's not manned by anyone. It's called Herma. Herma translated is hippopotamus. Uh. And that's a, a, it's, it's a grocery shopping where everything is automated and um, you get your product knowledge by scanning in all the products and knowing when it actually got um, uh, put on the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, I personally believe that's the way it's going. And Amazon's got shops like that already set up where everything is automatically scanned when you put it in your shopping basket and you just walk out the door and then you get charged. You don't have to stand at checkout queues or it's it's fantastic. So um, I think early 
the earlier that we get that sort of stuff, the better. Um, and look, in, in the, the subject of, of what we're talking about there, uh, one of the, 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 the big talking points at the moment is the whole One Belt, One Road initiative. Can you explain to people who have never heard of that what that is, please, Winnie? Okay. Um, the Belt and Road initiative is actually to revamp back in the days there were the Silk Road at leading China all the way to um, to Europe or Middle East. Mm. Um, so there's the two-pronged approach. It's uh, probably not best translated, yi dai yi lu, one belt, one road. So one is the Silk Road, which is on land, and the other one is the Silk Road, that's Marine Silk Road, which is along the sea. Um, the logistic uh, reason why they want to build, rebuild this infrastructure is to um, link up all the different economies to, to actually, um, there's a lot of the uh, have and have nots and the trade barriers and all that. So this is China embarking with all the nearby um, uh, countries to open up the corridor, the channel. In fact, they have run the first train from a place in China called Yiwu near Shanghai to London, and it takes less than, say, 12 days. So what the implication is for um, companies are traditionally you've got to be close to either airport or seaport, otherwise your cost right. of freighting will be adding on to your your, your, your overall cost. Now, it's uh, in between cities that are not close to the coast and not close to the airport, they now have an opportunity to trade with others along that belt and road. That's only from the logistic um, conversation side. But with the infrastructure rebuilding of it, it also required deepening of ports and um, building of um, a, a rail and pipeline and mm. it's, 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 it's opening up the, the whole world. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see all this happening. Uh, and the world has really shrunk and is getting smaller and smaller because of all these activities. Uh, so it's just, it'd be fascinating to see where things are in another 10 years, let alone 20 years, but it's, um, it's all moving so fast. Uh, one last subject, uh, to talk to you about before we finish up and, uh, let you get back to your, your, your work. <laughs> um, you've mentioned also, uh, the, uh, Silicon Delta, China's Silicon Delta. Can you expand on what that is, please? Okay, well, Silicon Delta is what comes to mind usually is the Silicon Delta we know of. The rise of this Silicon Delta, it's the, the word Delta is coming from the Pearl River Delta, which is the southern part of China, including yeah. Shenzhen. Over the years, Shenzhen had become uh, very good in manufacturing. It's also in the past were known as a world center for copycat products. Right. So they have devices that look like iPhone, look like Samsung, are available to the market even before the official product came to the market. <laughs> uh. but, but what's changed now from the history of being a copycat, Shenzhen now is known as the China 
most open innovation center. And it's also digitally connected network um, have been the key enabler for this area. So you've got DJI, which is the Shenzhen-based drone manufacturer mm, yep. that commands more than 70% of the global consumer drone markets. Yeah, they're huge. And 80, yes, 80% of the revenue comes from outside of China. The thing is, you have the innovation, you have the money. What you also need to have is an advanced manufacturing so you can run many iterations because um, any innovation we know of your first goal was not the perfect product. You need a lot of innovation, um, iteration to actually get that product right. And having a manufacturing base and now becoming an advanced manufacturing base allowed many iteration to get the product right. So they um, are able to do a prototype within a day when you come off something. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's a it's an incubator and also. Um, the venture capital company is also set up there at the at the forefront. So you've got the robotic startup, you've got the smart city infrastructure. They all congregate there. So that is the rise of the China's Silicon Delta. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, so look, before we finish up, Brendan, is there anything else you have in your mind that you wanted to ask? We need before we, well, we could let her get back to day, work. But we probably should let her get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's this a massive is part subject. Of my work. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're true, true. Um, it's a big subject, and we've only scratched the scratch of the scratch. Not even that, you know. So uh, the the main reason for the, this particular episode was to make people aware of who you are, uh, and that they can contact you and maybe get some consultation for you or help in some way shape or form so what is the best way for people to get in touch with you Winnie um, yes thank you Ed for that um, uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn um, and also um, uh, I'm based in Perth at Hopgood Gannam and um, it's uh, very easy to actually find us on the website um, www.hopgoodgannam.com.au and I'll really lie, So we'll do, I've, we've got your email here for Hopgood Ganim and also the URL, which you just said. So we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put your LinkedIn uh, address as well in the show notes so people can just click on those from our site and, and get in touch with you. But uh, as you've probably worked out from the conversation, it's a big, big subject matter. Uh, but you've got to start somewhere and doing your research before you enter into these types of markets that you haven't been in will save you a lot of time and hassle by speaking to someone like Winnie. So thank you very much for your expertise and your time. Winnie, greatly appreciated you coming on the show. Thank you, Ed, and thank you, Brendan. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brendan. Uh, Winnie, I will see you around the traps sometime soon. Have a have a great day, and uh, thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher.